Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. John the Baptist had one job, prepare for and point the way to Jesus, and he did it well. A J. Thomas, pastor at Seven Mile Road Church in Philadelphia, brings us this sermon entitled, The Greatness of Jesus, which covers Luke chapters 1 and 2, and Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Perimeter Church, greetings to each and every one of you. It is such a joy for me every time I'm given the opportunity to connect with you. And I have to tell you, I was sincerely hoping to be with you in person, to see you face to face, and I hope that the Lord provides that opportunity soon enough. I am so thankful to you and especially to your leaders for the kindness they have always shown me and especially for the partnership in the gospel we've enjoyed from the first time all the way until now. As we consider God's word this morning, let me tell you about the worst birthday gift I have ever received. Maybe the worst birthday gift of all time. I was just a kid, I don't remember exactly how old, probably because I've tried to block it out of my memory, but you know as a young child, you can't wait for your birthday. And so you're counting down all year long, six months till my birthday, two months till my birthday, one week until my birthday. Well, eventually the day had arrived and I was so excited. I went to school, I came back home and my parents told me they had something for me to see. And I was so eager, I'm working in my mind through the wish list of stuff and what it is they got me. And they told me to follow them, and I started to follow them to my sister's bedroom. Now that itself should have struck me as, what are we doing going there, and and a bit odd. But I get to my sister's room, and there it was, a brand new queen-size bed. And I'm trying to figure out exactly what's happening here when my parents essentially say to me, happy birthday, son. We bought your sister a bed. Now, did you just hear what just happened? Because I don't know if you understood. It was my birthday, and they bought my sister a brand new bedroom set. I I was like that girl in Brady Bunch that's going, Asha, Asha, Asha. That's my sister's name. It's all about Asha. Do you get what just happened? The day of my birth became an occasion to celebrate my younger sibling. It was my birthday, but the spotlight was on her. As you might be able to tell, I'm still working through some of that, but if there's one person who could relate with me, who knows exactly what I went through, it would be John the Baptist. You see, in the scriptures, John the Baptist's entire life was overshadowed by his younger relative, Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, literally, from the day John was born, it was all about Jesus. And if you know something of the Scriptures, and if you know something of John the Baptist's life, you know that the great creed of his life, the great confession of his mouth, was, I am not the Christ. In fact, he went on to say, He, speaking of Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. He must increase, and I must decrease. And Perimeter Church, would you know, that began not only when John's ministry began, but it began from the hour John was born. In fact, even before he was born. So, 
as we're getting ready in our calendar year to step into Advent and into this season, I want us this morning to consider the opening chapters of Luke's Gospel. And in chapter 1 and chapter 2, Luke has this simple message for us, which is, John is great, but Jesus is greater. You see, what Luke wants to do is give you reason to see the supremacy of Jesus, to draw your hearts to worship Jesus. If you're not a Christian, to hear why it is that Christians make such a big deal about Jesus. Or in this season, to renew your affection and wonder at Jesus. And so he wants to show you, right from the first pages of his gospel account, the greatness of Jesus. If you have a Bible, you can look in Luke 1 and 2, and just skimming through those first two chapters and some of the headings, you'll see that Luke begins his account not with one, but with two birth narratives. In fact, what you begin to see is there's sort of this parallel back and forth between John and Jesus. For example, just skim through Luke 1 and Luke 2 with me. You'll see in chapter 1, verses 5 through 25, the birth of John is foretold. Well, what follows immediately after that? Except in verse 26 to 38, the birth of Jesus is foretold. Or in, John, in Luke 1, verses 57 through 80, you have the birth of John, his circumcision on the eighth day, his naming ceremony, and that entire section is concluded with a prophecy from an elderly man named Zechariah. Well, when you turn the page to Luke chapter 2, what do you find except the birth of Jesus, his circumcision on the eighth day, a naming ceremony, and that entire section is concluded with the prophetic word of an elderly man named Simeon. Do you see the parallel? Do you see the back and forth? Luke starts his account with two visits from the angel Gabriel to two sets of shocked and unsuspecting parents, to announce two miraculous births, to give two names about two miracle sons who would be born, circumcised, named, and prophesied over. In fact, so much is the symmetry between these two parallels that they even sort of conclude and wrap up in the same way. So, for example, if you get to 1 verse 80 where John's birth narrative ends, or 2 verse 40, where Jesus' birth narrative ends, they both end with, and these two sons grew up and became strong. It's sort of a concluding way to sum them both up. But perimeter, here's what I want you to hear. Yet for all these similarities, what Luke is actually trying to highlight is not what's the same about them, but what's different about them. You see, the whole point of this parallel is to say for all the symmetry and for all the similarities, one son is superior to the other. You see, it's Luke's way of beginning to introduce to us, John is great, but Jesus is greater. Such that even on John's birthday, the spotlight was on his younger sibling. Because Jesus, 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 this whole thing is about Jesus. Let me show you. It begins in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. It says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Skip down to verse 13. But the angel said to him, an angel comes to Zechariah and says, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Okay, so let's put that together for a second. You're introduced to this old, godly, righteous couple. They have no kids, the text tells us. Because Elizabeth, the wife, is barren. And verse 7 said, they were advanced in years. That is, their bodies don't work anymore. It is now physically impossible for them to have any children. And to this elderly, barren couple that's biologically impossible for them to have kids, an angel of the Lord comes to announce that they would conceive and that they would have a son. Now, for any of you who are familiar with the Bible, does any of that sound familiar? Like some bells are going off in your head? Because Luke certainly would have known as he was writing this that some of his first readers would have read that and said, this is all too familiar. We've seen this before. We've seen an elderly, godly couple with a barren wife and an old husband being announced to that they would have a promised son. See, this goes back to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis and the most legendary couple in Israel's story, Abraham and Sarah. Abraham, a man who's a hundred, advanced in years. Sarah, who's pushing 90. It's biologically, physically impossible for them to have kids. And yet, the word of the Lord comes that they would conceive and give birth to a promised son. What, what does that mean? Except that as Luke's account begins... God is reaching back to Genesis and pulling out something that he did to the very foundation of Israel's story to the legendary couple of Abraham and Sarah. God's pulling out a Genesis-like miracle in the first pages of this New Testament. Meaning, if God is doing something as extraordinary as that, then this son that's about to be born is no ordinary kid. This is not your average baby boy. Instead, the birth of John is so monumental, so important to the plans and purposes of God that you have Luke writing in such a way that you're thinking about Abraham and Sarah. It makes you ask at this point in the narrative, what on earth could be more impressive than an elderly, infertile couple having a biologically impossible baby, so much so that it's got you thinking about Abraham and Sarah. As if the text is pushing you to ask, can anything in the world top a barren birth? And that's when Luke wants to raise his hand and said, how about a virgin birth? You see, that's what Luke is doing in this narrative. Because right after the birth of John is foretold, he doesn't waste a moment, but in the very next breath begins to tell you of the birth of Jesus being foretold. And if you think a barren birth is something, well, what about a virgin birth? You see, if you think it's amazing to read Luke 1, and in verse 18, hear Zechariah ask this to the angel. He said to the angel, how shall I know this? 
for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. That's amazing. You know what's even more amazing? To hear Mary say to the angel in 1 verse 34, how shall this be since I am a virgin? Do you get it? A barren birth is out of this world, unbelievable, but in a virgin birth is even greater. As if the text is beginning to say, John's conception is amazing, but Jesus' is greater. Because John is great, but Jesus is greater still. Because Jesus, 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 this whole thing is about Jesus. Let me show you another. Consider what is said about John the Baptist. You read it in 1 verse 15. It says, For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. Did you catch that? John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is in his mother's womb. Any of you that are a Christian parent, a believing parent, you know the prayers you pray for your children. You know the longings you have for your children. You know that perhaps more than anything else, you hope that the Holy Spirit comes upon your child, fills your child, causes them to live with love and faith in God. And so you're waiting to see that spirit filling your child, perhaps when they're six or when they're 16 or when they're 26, but you're longing for it. Can you imagine that prayer being answered while your child is in your mother's womb, in the womb? I mean, John is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit while he is in Elizabeth's womb, which makes you go, how special is this child in the plans and purposes of God that he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, set apart, belonging to God, even from his mother's womb? It's almost like the text is pushing you to ask, what on earth could top an in utero filling of the Holy Spirit? Well, Luke's going to say, I've got an answer. In fact, he shows us. Would you read with me 1 verses 39 and following? It says, in those days... Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Oh, it's a beautiful scene. One, as we go into the weeks of Advent, you'll undoubtedly read again. But here you have the first encounter between John and his younger cousin, Jesus. And the first time they meet is actually in their mother's wombs. Mary, pregnant, newly heard from the angel that she would conceive. And Elizabeth, pregnant, six months since the angel came and told her she would conceive. Both meet one another. And when these two women meet, they've both been visited by an angel. They've both conceived miraculously. And yet what's clear in their encounter is that one son is clearly greater than the other. You see, 
When Mary shows up with Jesus in her womb, Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cries out aloud, Blessed are you, Mary, among women. Isn't that something? She is pregnant by God even now, but she cries out to Mary, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And here's what's amazing. This isn't reciprocal, meaning Mary doesn't say back, and blessed are you, Elizabeth. This is one-sided. The spotlight is clearly on the sun growing in Mary's womb so that Elizabeth can say to Mary who's come to her, why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, at the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Do you catch that? John the Baptist does a Holy Spirit-filled, joyful backflip in his mother's womb. And, and if you hear that, you go, that's unbelievably impressive. How special is this child that he is filled with the Holy Spirit and leaps even from his mother's womb. But if that's impressive, you know what's even more impressive? Is that that happens because Elizabeth and her child is in the presence of, of in utero Jesus. I mean, that's what's staggering. This whole scene plays out the way it does because Jesus now abides in Mary's womb. Jesus, who has just been conceived, the power of the Holy Spirit come upon Mary. If Mary had gone to the doctor earlier that week, this would have been the visit where the doctor said, your baby is the size of a grape or a strawberry. And yet... The staggering thought here is that being in the presence of grape-sized Jesus in Mary's womb causes Elizabeth to be filled with the Holy Spirit and John to do gymnastics in the womb. Who then is this child growing in Mary's womb that the mere presence of him causes you to be filled with your Holy Spirit and leap for joy? Do you, do you get what Luke is saying? From his mother's womb, John is great. But from his mother's womb, Jesus is greater. Because Jesus, 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 this whole thing is about Jesus. We could keep going. The comparisons continue. Let me consider one more with you. Consider when John was born. Zechariah, this Abraham-like old man who had longed and prayed all his life for a child, finally has in his advanced years that prayer answered and he holds his baby boy, John. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit and so he begins to speak. He begins to prophesy, the text says. And can you imagine that tender scene? This man with his wrinkled hands, looking down with his wrinkled face on his newborn son, his first child. God had heard his prayers and taken the reproach away from Elizabeth and given her honor, shown the mercy. And so now he's about to look at his son and he's going to speak. And here's the words that he says in verse 68. He looks at John, holds him in his hands and says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Did you catch that? 
Can you picture this old man holding John in his hand and saying, Blessed be the Lord, for he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David. Okay, here's the thing. John and Zechariah are not from the house of David. So apparently whatever Zechariah is saying, holding his newborn, is not about his newborn. In fact, that's when you understand everything John's father says is essentially about Jesus. In fact, if you read that section with the exception of verse 76 and verse 77, the whole section is about what God would do through Jesus. Perimeter, can you picture that with me? It's like you were just born and your dad holds you in his hands, looks you in the face and sings the praises of another kid. Can you imagine what that's like? That, that's like, it's like your parents buying your sister a bed on your birthday. I mean, he's holding John and he's singing the praises of Jesus because even John's birthday becomes an occasion to point to Jesus. Even on his birthday, the spotlight was on Christ because Jesus, 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 this whole thing is about Jesus. Oh, read for yourself and you'll see the comparisons continue. But do you get the point with me, brothers and sisters, that John's entire life, his existence had one aim, to point people to Jesus Christ. And that was an existence and that was an aim that began not only when he was in ministry at 30 years old, it began from the hour of his birth. In fact, Luke's account begins to say, even in the birth of John, it was as if John was the opening act and Jesus was the main event. John was an appetizer. Jesus is the main course. John, from the hour he was born, shows us the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And you know, here's what's crazy about this. You know, Nobody in the world was happier about that than John the Baptist. Because you know what? John's soul gladly sang, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. See, from the moment he was conceived, John was pointing people to Jesus. And when you keep reading the pages of the New Testament, you find that what began in the womb continued so that some 30 years later, when God does call John to ministry, John goes out into the wilderness and he begins to preach. And wouldn't you know, everybody from everywhere came to John. In fact, he reaches the kind of pinnacle and prominence and has the kind of platform that honestly, pastors and preachers dream about. If it were in our day, everybody would be following John on social media. Everyone would be listening to his podcast, buying his books, coming to his stadiums and, and listening to him preach. If John planted a church, every seat would be filled and there'd be a new person to baptize every single week. John's ministry had catapulted and everyone was looking to John and all the attention of all the countryside was towards John. And when everyone was buzzing and they'd come to John and they'd interrogate him and tell us, tell us about yourself, say something about who you are, wouldn't you know John hated that question? John avoided that question. In fact, the way that John answered who he was by telling you who he's not, 
His answer to who are you is, I am not the Christ. He would tell his disciples, listen, he, speaking of Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. But over and over again, when the questions came, John, who are you? Finally, John answered this way. He said, you know who I am? I'm a voice. I'm the voice of one in the wilderness crying, prepare the way of the Lord. It's almost like, don't even think of me as a person. Just see me as a voice. Let me tell you what I think of whenever I consider this about John. It's sort of like the State of the Union address in in U.S. government and politics. It's that one moment where usually we're able to push aside our politics and everybody in the nation comes to listen to the president. And on that one night, all the who's who, all the people who are important, all the VIPs of Washington, D.C. come together and they assemble in the Capitol building for a night to hear from the president. And if you know that night, everybody who's important, everybody who has stature is gathered together and they're all assembled and they're standing and talking and laughing and shaking hands. And all of a sudden, when the night is about to begin, the back doors are thrown open and a man emerges A man, to be honest, you have no idea who he is. You don't know his title or his position. You don't know how he got to D.C. or into the Capitol building that night. You have no idea who he is. But from the back of the room, he shouts with a loud voice and says, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States of America. And all of a sudden, the room lifts with applause and people clap and people watch and the president walks in and shakes hands and makes his way all the way down to the front. And now every eye is looking to him and the back door closes. That man slips out and no one thinks about him again. Isn't it something? Every eye looks forward and nobody thinks about the man as they ought not because every eye is gazed in a different direction. You know what John says? John says, I'm that guy. The entire point of my life is to throw open the door and shout to the world, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus the Christ, the Lamb of God come to take away the sins of the world. And everyone looks at him and everyone applauds to him and everyone is focused on him. And I slip out the back door and nobody thinks about me ever again. Friends, when we're sane, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we want of our lives? When we are most believing who Jesus is and what he's come to do, don't we want the sum of our life not to be about making our name great or to seeing our name in lights or to make much of us or to reach platforms and prominence, but to point people to Jesus? You see, in this season... As we enter Advent, the beginning of Luke wants to draw your eyes away from yourself and away from all the things in the world that clamor for your attention and look squarely at him who is supreme and who is great. Well, let me end by telling you the next time Jesus and John meet. Their first encounter was in the wombs of their mothers, but they meet one more time when Jesus comes to John to be baptized by him. You can read about it in Matthew. He says it this way, Then Jesus, chapter 3, verse 13, came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for thus is it fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Would you picture this scene? People are coming from everywhere to be baptized by John. And among them is Jesus. You see, standing in that baptism line is like standing on line at a soup kitchen or for unemployment. The details of you and the people around you might be different, but standing in that line implicates you. It says you're a person in need. And standing on the baptism line meant that you are identifying as a sinner. The details of your sin might be different than the person in front of you or behind you, but to be on that line is to say you're in need of forgiveness of sins, of cleansing for the filth of your life. And Jesus stood on that line. In fact, more than stand at that line, he was baptized by John as if he were among the sinners, as if he were a sinner. See, and this is what Jesus came to do that John couldn't do, is that Jesus came to identify with us, not only in baptism, but as a foreshadowing of how he would be drowned under the wrath of God for our sin, standing among us, standing as one of us, in our place, and for our sin. And that's when the wonder of Jesus begins to click. That he who is supreme, greater than the greatest, became lower than the lowest for us. John didn't do that. Jesus did. Which is why John is great, but Jesus is greater. And me, we enter this Advent season singing with our lips and living with our lives. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's pray together. Our God, we give you thanks for your word and pray that your Holy Spirit would continue to use it to point us to Christ. We pray in this season you might help us to gladly confess we are not the Christ. The needs of our world, the needs of our city, the needs of our homes and our lives are so great, but we can't meet those needs for we are not the Christ. And so free us to point people to Jesus, who is the answer. We pray that in this season, for the first time or for the thousandth time, you might help us see the supremacy of Christ and our souls would be satisfied in him. And we would live with our lips and our lives in such a way as to see his name and lights, to see he preeminent and him receive prominence and all people pointed to him. Come help us in this season to make much of Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.